You're listening to audio from The Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about The Village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Good morning, Village Church. My name is Wes. Going to be reading this morning. John 13, verse 31. Follow along when your Bibles are on the screen. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, Where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Also, you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is the word of the Lord. You can now have a seat, and the kids can be dismissed to their class. Good morning. My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks so much for hanging out with us this morning. Before we kind of hop into this text, I just want to acknowledge hard things for a second. Um, There's death and and difficulty in this community and among us, and, and some of that's public and some of that's private, and many of you know that um, Jeff Jones passed away unexpectedly this weekend. He was a part of this community for a while, and he's certainly a part of the, the community at, um, in, in Hamilton at large. And so um, we know that others suffer privately through, through death and difficulty and pain. And so I just want to acknowledge those things. I want to say that if there's space that you need to process that stuff, man, lean into your community, lean into, you know, reach out to us. We would love to, to process that with, with you. And, and just right now, just love to just pray and ask, uh, just petition the Lord who weeps with those who, who hurt. We get to lean into him. And he doesn't just weep with. We see Jesus hanging out with, um, with his friends, his dear friends who, who Lazarus, you know, one of his other friends, he, he dies in front of them and he weeps with them, but he doesn't just sit idly by, he does something about it. And, and for us who find ourselves um, dealing with pain and, and dealing with death and dealing with difficulty and dealing with things outside of our hands, we might find ourselves feeling hopeless. And what we get to do is we get to lean into a God who weeps with and mourns with, but also who does something about it. And we don't always get to see that in, in moments. We don't always get to see that over a weekend. But in, in the sum of life, when these days are vapor, we will see that he's, he's been engaging. And he's done things to make all things new. So would you pray with me, God? Thank you that you're present, that you're not just some far off, <clears throat> stoic, stone God or some God made of gold or silver, but, but you are near. Jesus, you came to dwell among your people, to bear burden with, to live with, to feel pain with. 
And when you left, you sent your Holy Spirit to be near, to be present, that, that we might lean in and, and draw near to you. And your promise is that, that you will be quick to draw near to us. And so we do that today. We, we weep with and we lament and we, we mourn, but we also hold hope that you are making all things new, that you don't just let the brokenness of this world and, and sin and broken things be the last, uh, the last line in the story, but you, you came to live, to die, to live again, to ascend and, and rule and reign so that we might have hope and that we might find our life abundantly in you. Thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have two questions for you today, and I hope to answer them uh, as clearly as I can and as clearly as this passage would allow us to. The first one, it's really one question with a sub-question. The first question is this, for what purpose do you exist? You thought it was going to be just hanging out today, but like, why? The answer is why. Like, why are you? Okay. You don't have to shout out answers. That's fine. <laughs> For what purpose do you exist? Like, why? Like, like we're getting at the, the thing that science and all of the biggest brains in the universe, they can't answer this question. Why? Why are we? Why am I? So for what purpose do you exist? I want you to think about that, not just today, but always. And the second question is this, what difference does it make in the way that you live? Reality is, you've been living as if you have a purpose, whether you've identified what that purpose is or not, because all of the things that you do, they flesh out what you think is most important in your life. So, so why do you live and what do you do because of the why? That's what we're trying to figure out today. So there's this double-edged urgency around this type of questioning around these questions, why am I and, and what do I? And it seems to me, middle-aged as I am, that people tend to figure out kind of like what life is all about towards the end of their own. And I've been in enough rooms and, and had interactions with people on the, the last end of their life and, and literally kind of deathbed chats. And, and what I've come to realize is that things that mattered a bunch don't seem to matter so much at the end of our days. Or, or maybe those things just kind of take on new meaning and, and things shift. And so uh, reflection to say, man, to, to ask questions like this, reflection is good. To sit back and say, huh, was today a win? And the question is, what? We say this all the time with the kids, like, uh, what is this? Well, let us define whatever. And so was, did we win today? Well, well, what is defining the win for today? And if we don't know why we're doing what we're doing, then all of us just responding to stuff around us. So reflection is good. Assessment is good. Assessing your life. And, and if you're living out of your convictions or, or according to your purpose, goals are good. But the reality is many, they don't consider the biggest win for their entire life until most of their life is behind them, if ever at all. So we have this line, youth is wasted on the young. And the older I get, the more like I appreciate it. And, and here's the thing, the more I appreciate the young. Because I think at some point you're like, uh, youth is wasted on the young. You are pathetic. You it's not that at all. 
It's, it's when you're young, you're willing to take chances because you're just naive enough to not worry about consequences. And that I love. Don't do unwise, foolish things. Little children, don't do that. But you can appreciate, like, the older I get, then the more, like, safe I play it. And the reality is, it's just, it's like we, we exchange one thing for another. And, like, what, what I think what the kingdom, what Jesus invites us into is zeal with purpose. And, and I think because I'm 40 years old, I just get the best of both worlds. I'm kidding. That's not true. You get the idea, though, like, by not answering the first question and saying, what is a win for my life? What is the purpose of my life? For not, you know, if we don't reflect, then it impacts the second. Like, what do we do? And not having any pillars of conviction to live by? Like, if you don't know why you live, you will do anything if the price is Right? I believe, I believe that to be true. And you would say, well, I believe that to be harsh. And I would say, maybe harsh, but also true. Because you don't know what the win is. You don't know why you're doing anything that you do. And so we find ourselves just responding to things. If you have no guideposts, then, then you have moving convictions. And you would draw a line and you would say, yeah, but there are certain st- situations where I would cross that line. And you would draw another line and say, yeah, but like you can see... Right? And then you just, you're, you're moving goalposts. If you have no guidepost, then your convictions are moving. When your foundation is unstable, then whatever you build upon that, it's going to be unstable. We all know that no one can talk about ultimate purpose without quoting the, the Westminster Catechism. <laughs> and the, a, a catechism is something that the church has used historically, not this one, but the church as long as it has been question, answer, to try to figure out some, some foundational truths about who God is. And some of those are, are good and some not so good. But the Westminster Catechism fa- famously asked this, what is the chief end of man? Why do we exist? Why am I? And the answer is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And I, I think we could, we could look at this book, and there are other things, sure. It's, it's really hard to boil everything down to, to kind of one or two things, but we, we extract the, the, the truths of this book, and we would say, gosh, to bring glory to God and to enjoy him forever. Now, some people think that you can't do that. And they think that a life that's faithful, that's devoted to uh, truth, devoted to Jesus and his kingdom in accordance with this word, well, that's not a joyful life. And that's, that's a lie. The fullness of life, the abundant life is glorifying him in all that we do and enjoying him forever. So today in John 13, we're talking about that and, and divine purpose and how and, and, and what to do about it. And, and the big idea is, is kind of this. We'll just tease this out in kind of three chunks. The glory of God is made known now in Christ through love. That's kind of what we're aiming at today. And so the, the first thing we'll look at is this. The time is now to glorify God. And so I want to read 13, verse 31 and 32, he says this. 
hey, Caleb, can you grab me a water from the huddle room? <laughs> Thanks, bro. <laughs> oh, Caleb, call off the dogs. <laughs> I got one. Thanks. Thanks, Matt Tucker. Okay, Caleb, can you grab me $100 out of... <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Caleb. The time is now to glorify God. When we had gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of... So it's the end of Jesus' life, kind of setting up the last days of his life. He just announced to his disciples that he's been hanging with for three years that there's a betrayer among them, and it's Judas, and it was dark and whatever, and so they kind of leave that scene, and when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him, okay? If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself. Okay, I get it. Like, we're just weaving things, and we're just throwing the word glorify out, and there's some connection between God and, and Jesus, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. He will do it now. And what we see is, is in this, that this, this saying that Jesus loved to say, the son of man, I am the son of man, he says, it has a double meaning of kind of human being. I'm just, I'm born of a human, Mary. It's, it's a humble description of himself. He wasn't going around like, Do you, don't you know who I am? Like, how dare you? He, he declared his authority, but he was subtle, and he was, he was humble in the way that he did that. And he's also making these connections to something that was written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago and, uh, by the prophet Daniel in Daniel chapter 7, where he talks about the Son of God. And so Jesus is making this connection with his, his humble humanity and his uh, exalted heavenly origin. He's making this connection. Jesus means to communicate both of these things in humility and in supreme authority. And he's saying, that, that is me. And then he, he makes these connections. He says, now is the time that God be glorified. And so he, he knows that his life purpose, his mission, has kind of been about a thing. And Jesus is, is saying that he is going to be glorified. He's pointing to his death as the ultimate fulfillment of his, of his divine glory. God is, through him at once, going to be glorified. And so this is the beginning of what, you know, uh, smarter people than I call like the farewell discourse, where, where the next three chapters, he's doing kind of direct teaching about his death, about his resurrection, about him being exalted, and about his, his future coming, about the coming of the Holy Spirit. His life puts the glory of God on display. His death does that expressly once for all time. That's what he's getting at here. Jesus allowed Judas to set the plan in motion. And again, we say, why didn't he? And there's lots of stuff that we don't know, but what we do know is that Jesus, his purpose was always to glorify the Father. And now he's saying, which also glorifies me because we are one. I am, I am he and, and, and he is me. And I'm living to bring glory to him and ultimately to me. That's what Jesus is saying. So he allowed Judas to set the plan in motion to betray him. And, and the Father is going to make Jesus' name great. We know that nothing is outside of the hands of God. Nothing. 
there's this uh, contraption that you've probably seen in some context. It's called the Rube Goldberg machine. And it, and it shows up a thousand ways, right? There were some Mythbusters did a Christmas special on it. You can look that one up. So whenever you see something like this, this is the Rube Goldberg. And here's a definition of it. Named after American cartoonist Rube Goldberg is a chain reaction type machine or contraption intentionally designed to perform a simple task in an indirect and overly complicated way. And what's so difficult about it is you, you can push a button or hit a lever or uh, I think the Mythbusters put Mentos in Coke bottles and it shoots in and the, the soda comes down and fills something up and that moves some other thing and there's a little uh, monkey with, you know, the symbols and that hits a thing, hopefully, and if it hits a thing, something spins around and, and like just you know, step after step after step after step, and finally hit something that shoots something through a hoop or whatever it is. The plan that, that God is, is moving into, it, it looks like this, but here's the reality. Those machines are, are very difficult to carry out. They have to be very precise. Jesus, uh, his descending to earth, it set the mission in motion Judas was part of that chain reaction. He was part of the play. It was always going to have a perfect ending. And that chain reaction, even through Judas, leads to the death of Jesus, which is divine glory on display. That's what he's telling us. And, and the mission moves, and nothing will stop it. Nothing will stop the mission of God. And so his mission here is the glory of God. And there are lots of things that we don't see or we don't get along the way. And yet his, his, his mission marches on perfectly. So, so what, is it to, what is it to glorify God? That's like a, a word that we don't use very often. I think of it like in simple terms like this. I think of a light, and I, like a, a museum, and there's a painting on a wall, and there's light shining on that painting. And I think, gosh, our role to glorify is to shine light on something beautiful. So when we say, man, our, our purpose is, is to glorify, just re real simply, and not theological terms, I think my role in Christ is, is to reflect his light back to him to make his, his beauty known. That's what we can do. Or maybe you're the singing type, and you think, man, your life is, is the melody that, that screams the glory of God. Everything that you do is a song that you sing. Every attitude and every action and, and how you deal with wins and how you deal with losses all along the way and, and everything in between, it's an opportunity. You're singing a song. Let it be the glory of God. Technically, glory has kind of a, a double meaning, and, and I'll kind of breeze through these quickly. In, in Romans 3, we see this, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So that tells us something. It tells us that all have sinned. <sighs> I thought I was the only one. Turns out that's not true. 
And, and maybe you thought you were the only one that hadn't. Also turns out that's not true. So, so it's equal playing field. We all fail God. We all fall short. We all live in a way that's not out of the way that he would uh, invite us to live. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, and basically, from what I gather, we could replace the word glory with honor or excellent reputation. And so it's, it's honor. It's to sing the praise of. That's the word. Uh, and then there's this other kind of more technical term. It's a visible manifestation of his excellent character. And what does that mean? It means, like in the Old Testament, it was not only that, that they lived in a way that, that gave him honor that was due him, but so often it showed up like in a cloud or in a bright light or, or whatever it is. And so it's the thing that marks his presence. It's like the visible thing that marks the presence of God. I'll read this quote from a commentary. It goes like this. So God's glory is the visible expression of his excellence. And when that excellence is seen, then people are prompted to give him the glory, honor and worship that he is due. That's what, that's what we get to do. To acknowledge, acknowledge his greatness and, and live to give back to him the, the glory, the honor, and the worship that he is due. And, and again, in the Old Testament, it was a cloud or, or, or a flame or a light or whatever it was. In the New Testament, how is the excellence of God put on display? In Jesus. This, this carpenter, no doubt with, with calloused hands from, from his daily work, this Jesus puts the full glory of God on display. Jesus is the glory of God. He is the physical presence of, of God's excellence. Because he is God, he perfectly reveals the excellent character of God, the exact imprint of God's perfect, holy nature. To know Jesus is to know God. To know Jesus is to know the glory of God. What is God like? He's like Jesus because Jesus is God. So Jesus' mission, his purpose is, is the glory of God. And everything that he does beyond that, everything else, it flows from that purpose to bring glory to God. So, so if now is the time to glorify God as he says here, Jesus does that perfectly. And what does that mean for us? It means that we get to do the same. We weren't in this room. But, but even the urgency is also true for us. And he's talking about very specifically, now is the time because I'm not going to be around very much longer. But for us, man, it's equally urgent. We don't know what, we, we don't know uh, our days. We don't know the days of this whole thing. And so we get to urgently Seek the glory of God. This is what uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians. He says, so whatever, so whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And the context is really important. He's talking about cooked meat offered to idols. 
and can you eat that? And he's like, sure, it's fine. Like, just know why you're doing what you're doing. But if you're like being offensive to someone, like just be wise and maybe don't do that if they don't want you to do that and whatever. But, but this line is so powerful. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Here's the thing. Our greatest purpose in life is, is the glory of God. And, and that means that we're always shining, that we're always singing. But that doesn't mean just when we have our Bible open. And that doesn't just mean on Sunday mornings. And when you talk about things like this, <clears throat> it's easy to think that like, oh, those are like, oh, talking about spiritual things, you know, like, like singing spiritual songs and sitting, listening to a guy talk for, you know, three hours about the Bible or whatever. Like, okay, do that to the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink, it's the most beautiful thing. And again, it has a context, but, but the heartbeat of it is this, no matter what you do, in the daily mundane of your life, let it shine bright the song of the glory of God. That means that, that even eating and drinking are opportunities for us to, to reflect his own light back to him and to sing the song of, of the Lord and the work of Jesus. Here's what it means, whether you eat, whether you drink, or, or sing, or dig ditches, or mop floors, or, or raise children, or play video games, or, or play basketball, whether you drive through this city traffic, whether you sit at a desk for 10 hours a day, whether you grill out, design, spend money, play, write sermons, write books, write blogs, write social media posts. Even when you write social media posts, you get to consider the glory of God. Oh, when you read social media posts that no one in this room wrote. I'm kidding. You probably did. It's okay. Whatever you do, wherever you are, you are shining light and you are singing glory. What he's saying is the purpose that he came to fulfill is the same purpose that we get to fulfill to live for the glory of the Lord. The second thing we see is this. The time is now to seek Jesus. I almost just had that as the entire point and moved on. And right now I'm considering that. Give me one second. They say you're always editing. Right now I'm editing. Probably the most powerful testimony I heard in my life of someone talking about their story and how God was working in them was this guy's name was Terry. Terry Shanky, for those of you who care. And uh, he was a man like in his 50s, I think, when he was telling this. And he said, his whole story was like telling moments of his life. And he said, man, in that moment, whatever, went to youth group as a kid or whatever it was. And he said, had this moment, he's like, I remember, like, I, I didn't reject Jesus, but I, but I didn't accept him either. It would go on later on. I got married, whatever it was, and 
talk to this pastor and whatever, prayed this thing or whatever. He said, the reality was, like, I, I didn't, I didn't accept Jesus, but, but I didn't reject him either. Or I didn't reject Jesus, but I didn't accept him either. And so it was all these points along his life where he just said the same thing, like, and, and you know what? Like, I, I, I didn't reject Jesus. He didn't come to a point where he was like, no, I'm not doing that. He was just like, meh. And he said, but I didn't accept him either. That's like the author of life, the Lord of all life. The, the only hope for me to, to live the fullness of life, to have eternal life, to be forgiven of my sins. I just, I didn't accept that. And, and he goes on and later on in life, oh, my, my wife's going to church or whatever it was. And I, I heard this thing. And, you know, I came to this point where, and, and the reality was I, I didn't accept Jesus. I didn't reject him either. And so it was just always this thing back and forth. And he was telling his testimony of, of how he came to trust Jesus. And somewhere along the line, he heard the gospel, the truth of salvation and life in him. And he said, yes. And he said, I, I want that to be my life. And I just think that it's so significant because that's what so many people do. And you think if you just hang out on the internet that everybody's just like ready to just pew, 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 pew. And like you can't say the word like if you say God, then they're just going to, you know, like key your car. And maybe that's true. And I know context like that. Throughout he has so many people just go through life not deciding and the reality is, when we do that, we, we certainly have already decided. And that's the call in the way that Jesus reveals himself. And so, in this room, there are a handful of types of people. And, and you look like this. You've laid down your life for Jesus. And, and, and to the best of your ability... You build your life on his life. Like, I, I probably don't acknowledge you enough. There are people, and we struggle, and it's hard, but, but by and large, the, the story of your life is, like, faithful, and you do that imperfectly, no doubt. And the encouragement is not to grow weary in pursuing him right? There are those of you like, I, I'm in, and I'm going to mess this up, but I'm all in. I'm following Jesus, and I, I'm spending time in his word to know him. I'm spending time with his people, and I'm praying, and, and I'm trying to, to grow, and, and I'm trying to, to chisel the parts of me that, that are the old man that's trying to reach out of the grave and pull me in with him. There's another type that you've emphatically rejected Jesus. And, and maybe you're in this room. Th thanks for hanging out. It, it must be really difficult. But we're really glad that you're in this room. But you've just emphatically rejected Jesus. You live, as, as the Bible would say, as a law unto themselves. You just do whatever you want to do. And, and the reality is, we've all been there. And we've all done that. I would be remiss if I didn't tell you that you're heaping judgment on yourself. And, and you find yourself an enemy of God. And you can have lots of enemies in this life. That's not the one that I would choose. I encourage you not to do that either. You're all in. You've rejected him completely. You're in between. And you find yourself 
uh, even here today at a time where you're like, man, I, I've walked with him and his people, and maybe, you know, the story is that you've gotten hurt, and maybe, you know, maybe you love Jesus, but you don't love his people, and I, I legitimately get that, right? The church is imperfect. We're a bunch of imperfect people trying to make known this, this perfect God. I, I get that. But you find yourself maybe at a crossroads where you're like, you've walked with him, but you drifted or you're drifting. And I would say the time is now to seek Jesus, to, to repent and believe, to turn from your sin, to, to, to trust him. I would love to chat with you about that. If you find yourself like feeling distant, increasingly distant, like we're all like on a trajectory toward or away. And if you, if you know that you're like moving away from the Lord, please don't do that by, by yourself. Please invite someone to walk with you in that. And then to the, to the testimony of Terry, you, you know, you're indifferent and you've chosen not to choose and you're not antagonistic, um, but you're not in in the way that Jesus commands. And, and I just want to encourage you like to not choose is a choice. Like follow me. That's what the invitation is. Like, don't be, meh, follow me or not. But you can't just, just sort of, eh, we'll see. And what does it look like to seek Jesus? Just real quick. Um, we get to acknowledge and we get to confess and we get to be near. Get to acknowledge him as God, Jesus as Lord, and we get to confess that, that I am not and we get to own the gap between that. We're going to say, gosh, this is you. And this is me. And I, and I will never climb enough. But you descended down to make me like you. And what we get to do is, is we get to be near. And, and what Jesus says, he says, if anyone wants to come after him, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. It means that it, it takes some sacrifice to be in the kingdom. And Jesus did all of it, and he invites you to join him. So, so if you find yourself in any of those things, he says, he says this, uh, the, the passage in verse 33, little children, yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. So this is the urgent peace. Now is the time to glorify God. Now is the time to seek Jesus because there will come a time when you're, not, you're no longer able to do that. And it will be final. The third thing is this. The time is now to love one another. Read in verse 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. <clears throat> so, so this uh, love your neighbor as yourself, that's not a new commandment. <laughs> that's, that's in the Old Testament. That's, that's throughout Scripture. That's the way of the people of God that we get, to, we get to love up and we get to love out, that's not new. The new peace that he's inviting them into is, is uh, just as I have loved you. 
Jesus inserts this phrase into the commandment from Leviticus, which is a, 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 one of the, the books or in the front of the Bible from way back when. And he, he inserts this piece. Jesus' disciples are instructed to love other people the way that Jesus is loving them, a love that lays down his life to give them life. And so we have to ask, obligatory, what is love? That's what we have to ask. What is love? Well, I, I looked it up. Turns out it's difficult to define. I think it's an emotion. I think I landed on that. But it's, it's not only an emotion. Literally, like, got questions. Like, got questions. I have a question. What is love? This is what it said. In the most basic sense, love is the emotion felt and actions performed. Could really just stop there. That's really helpful. Emotion felt and actions performed by someone concerned for the well-being of another person. Love is the emotion felt and the actions performed by someone concerned for the well-being of another person. I didn't put it on the screen because I'm not really sure that that's what love is. Right? Non-committal. I'm non-committal. But I know Kim's writing it down. She's very good that way. Love involves affection, compassion, care, and self-sacrifice. Love originates in the triune God with the eternal relationship that exists among the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's really important, and here's why. It, it means that love is love. That's not enough. And so if you just... Love is love, and that means lots of things to lots of people. That's not enough, because, because that's not true. What, what is true is that God is love, and that changes how we get to love. So, so the invitation is, love as I have loved. Well, we get to love as Christ has loved. How does he love? Selflessly, as a servant, He's not entitled or better than. In fact, we read in, in the Bible that, that Jesus, being equal to God, did not consider that something to grasp, and so he laid it down, and he took the form of a servant, and he, and he did that even to death, death on a cross. So anyone on this planet that would say, hey, don't, do you know who I am? Anybody that would say that, for whatever they think that they're the big deal that they are, I saw like a, a, a judge, uh, this is whatever, swiping through something. It's like a, a judge or a governor or something like that, uh, a mayor or something. She gets pulled over and she's like basically like, uh, excuse me, do you know who I am? Yeah, I, I, I am the boss to the, the judges in this town. He's like, that's great. You're speeding. <laughs> Can't do that. <laughs> You're going 25 over the speed limit. Like, that's great. Then you know how the jail process works, right, or whatever. I'm sure she didn't spend any time in jail. But, but anybody that could do that, Jesus could do that. And that's, that's not what he does. Right? He, he loves in truth because it's defined by the character of God and the nature of God. He loves in love. He defines love. And, and that's why we have to pursue to know him. We pursue to, to study him. And we use the word you know, theology, which is the study of God. And some people are like turned off completely by that. Like, we just need to love. Like, why do we need to define the terms? 
Because there's a lot of jacked up stuff that can come from even this thing if we don't define the terms. Lots of wicked and evil has flowed through the pages of this book when we just try to do our thing without figuring out who he is and what is true. Paul Tripp says this, he says, good theology not only tells you who God is, this should be on the screen, It might not be. That's okay. Good theology not only tells you who God is, but who you are as his child. Good theology redefines your identity, and it redirects your living. It changes who you are. It redefines your identity, and it changes how you live. And that's not theology for theology's sake. That's not big head, little heart. No, but, but the more that we know who he is, the more that our hearts grow to love as he loves. Well, who do we get to love? Well, we get to love God. We get to love Jesus. We get to love one another, which sometimes is easier and sometimes it's more difficult. We get to love our neighbor. That is, wherever you are, look around, that's your neighbor. And he, he, he later goes on. The emphasis here is on the people in the room love each other legitimately because the world outside is watching. And if you don't love each other, then they're going to think that you who build your life on my life, that I'm not love. So, so love well. But, but as he goes on throughout the scriptures, we see his life tease out. The emphasis is on the people in the room here, but it spreads wider elsewhere, including even our enemies. If you don't believe me, then see number one, love as Christ is loved. And he lived his life to love his enemies, me and everyone else who calls him Lord. I, I read not long ago, the test of discipleship is, isn't whether you love Jesus, but whether you love Judas. And it's like, that's really tough. He loves wide, the people that make up the culture around us that's sometimes just baffling in a thousand ways. He loves those people. Not love the world or the things in the world. Love the people who make up the world. We get to do that. We get to be kind humans. We get to do that. And that doesn't mean that we breach conviction or that we throw truth aside, but we get to, we get to be kind humans. We get to love those who are near our neighbor, and we get to love those who are in Christ. We get to love those who are a part of our local church, and like that takes work. Like if it wasn't difficult, he wouldn't have had to say it. You're not unlovable, I'm unlovable. <clears throat> And, and we get to do that so that the mission marches on. That's, that's what he's saying. To give those near and far a visible uh, cue, a, a light, a song, pointing to a future 
uh, yet to come in the kingdom. That's why we get to do what we do. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What, what he's saying is all of this is about the mission of God's glory. And, and God's glory is taking flight and it expands in the way that we put Christ's nature on display and how we live life with others. For what purpose do you exist? What, what does that change about the way that you live? We get to live through and for God's glory, and we get to love out of his glory. You might find yourself today saying, okay, I get to live for the glory of God. I, look, I don't know what that looks like all the time. We get to figure that out together. I know that's vague, but it's about declaring a name that isn't ours it's about declaring a kingdom that's not ours, an eternal kingdom in everything that we do. I, I saw something recently that I thought was so cool, right? And I'll close this way. Um, the show The Office. It is uh, essentially a scripted show about a documentary film crew that's making a show about people who do work in an office. It's not a reality show. It is a sitcom, I guess. Situational comedy? Yes, that's what it is. Um, but, but the idea is that there are cameras around, but we, we don't see that part of the story. We just see the, the story itself, right? And so I thought this was so great that the, the director made every one of the people who were in that office 30 to 45 minutes every single day made them come, sit at their desks, before they did any script reading, before they did any of the actual work, before they did any filming, and they just existed as an office. So you have people literally making copies of nothing, doing nothing, fake phone calls, going to accounting every day that the entire show was on, season after season. And some of those would show up in like blooper reels or whatever, but, but the guy that was telling the story is like, most of it didn't. It doesn't even exist anywhere. We just had to go and act like we were in office. And you say, why, what does that matter? Other than that, this is like so cool. The fear of the director was that it wouldn't be believable. And so if you're just reading lines, whatever, but like, I want you to feel like you work in this office. And day after day, you're going to do that so that when it comes time to film, it just looks like you're an office worker. For us, like, like here's the thing, we can't live for the glory of God and we can't live to love others without being with, without knowing and being near to Jesus, the Spirit, His Word, one another, who put this glory on display. And so you might be sitting here thinking, I'm going to do it. I'm going to live for God's glory. I'm going to do it. I'm going to love others well. And if you try to do that on your own, you're going to be phony. It's not going to, it's not going to be authentic. It's not even going to look legitimate. What we get to do before we go and, and try to put God's glory on display and his love on display is we get to be near to the one who laid down his life to put the glory of God on display. 
and to put the love of God on display. So let none of this be about my life purpose. I'm leaving today, and I've got it figured out, and I can't wait. Let your goal tomorrow be to draw near to Jesus, right? And as we do that over time, he will conform us into legitimate office workers. I'm just kidding. Legitimate people who, who figure out what it looks like to put his glory and his love on display. That sound all right? Let the one who lived on purpose best be the one that we draw near to, to shape our purpose, to shape our mission, and to shape our life. The glory of God is made known now in Christ through love. We get to respond. The band's going to come up and sing. You can stand up and sing right where you are. You can sit down. You don't have to do anything that makes you feel uncomfortable. There's a prayer bench over there if you just want some time to, to process and pray by yourself. There are some people over by that tree that would love to pray with you. My wife and I will be back right down at the end of this. We would love to pray with you about anything. For those who are in Christ, whether you're a member of this church or not, we get to respond. We get to remember and declare the fullness of what Christ has done, that, that his body was broken, that his blood was spilled to, to give us the forgiveness of sins and eternal life for all who would call upon his name. And we do this as often as we do. We, we take of the bread and we take of the cup just as a reminder to set our hearts on what matters most. Don't do that flippantly. Consider where you need to repent and turn from sin. Consider where you need to believe and trust him all the more. Before you do that, would you pray with me? God, thank you for your goodness and your grace and these people that we get to gather together and, and learn who you are. And we get to learn about you. And we get to sing songs to you. And we get to let our life be a song because you laid down your life to invite us in to your family, your kingdom, and to the glory and the love of mighty God. In Jesus' name.